This is a global original podcast. Hello, my name is Gordon Glenister. Welcome to Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. I'm the co-founder of BCMA Influence, which is a professional membership association that represents the influencer marketing industry. And my objective is to interview some of the most interesting people in the world of influencer marketing. And in the next 30 minutes, get real insights, ideas and tips to help you better understand the fascinating world of influence. So a big shout out to our lovely friends at Beasley Insurance who have kindly sponsored this episode and who specialise in all sorts of media insurance, especially for influencers. You can find out more at www.beasley.com or if you're an influencer here in the UK, www.assuredsocial.com. On today's show, I have the pleasure in welcoming the multi-talented content creator Amber Doig-Thorne. And we're going to be discussing loads of interesting things about her life as a content creator, the ups and downs, and hearing some of the campaigns she's been involved in. Amber is an actress and presenter, and she's had the privilege to interview some pretty cool people, I have to say, in her time, including Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, and loads of others. But uh, we want to hear what it's like to be a content creator. So naturally, I was keen to find out how she started out. So I'm one of those weird people where I don't have one niche. Um, I never really have. I started off three years ago doing mainly comedy videos and that's kind of been the main pillar of my content. But over the last few years I've branched out into doing fashion, film is another big one, food, travel, uh, lifestyle, beauty, oh my goodness, so many different things. Um, I would say that comedy, film and lifestyle are probably like the main pillars of my content as I was saying. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people do feel like they need to have a niche and I, I do agree with that to a certain extent, but I've been very fortunate in the fact that I think once you have built a following, people then start to follow you for your personality rather than, oh, well, she's doing beauty, so I want to follow her. And I think once you're lucky enough to get to that stage, you can then branch out and do a few different things. So I think I've kind of struck lucky with that one. Yeah, that's quite an interesting point you make there. I think um, there's a lot, lot said about influencer marketing and niche down. And I can see how successful people are in those areas. But what you've effectively said is you might start in a particular genre and as people get to know you and want to see more of you, then in a way it's it's much more easier for you to explore that. 100%. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't recommend starting being an influencer with like 20 niches. Don't do that. That that will just be incredibly complicated. Um, Yeah, I think if you if you figure out what you want to do initially, and then as I said, once you've grown a following, that's when people like you for being you, then you can pretty much do what you want, in my opinion, anyway. No, I agree. And I think authenticity is is everything isn't it and, and it I know really is. It is, it's what it's all about um so uh, when did you start sort of entering the influencer space how long ago was that yeah so it was uh, about three and a half years ago now it was really really strange and whenever i get asked this question i think people expect me to have like a 10-step plan and here's how i did it it was really weird for me because from my first day from basically creating my facebook page and my instagram it was my full-time job which is very, very strange. So for me, how it worked, it was never anything that I really planned. Like, God, when I was at university is when it started in the last six months of uni. And I just started creating these like comedy videos with a friend and they went insanely viral. Like, I think we had 
a billion views in six months, which even now, like, yeah, three years later, my brain can't comprehend that like, each video is getting like 100 million views. It was ridiculous. Uh, this was on Facebook. And it was all on his page. And I just tagged my Facebook profile. And by the time I graduated, so this was in January that we started, 2016. And um, by August, when I graduated, I had about half a million followers on Facebook, didn't have Instagram, YouTube, anything like that. And the day that I graduated, because I studied theoretical physics, I was planning on going into banking. <laughs> like, yeah, my life plan was always do theoretical physics, go into banking, work my bum off for like five years as a trader, and then like retire and fund myself to go through drama school to be an actor. So this kind of turned everything on its head. And yeah, the day I graduated, I had to sit down with my parents and I was like, so this influencer thing, like, should I give it a go? And it was my dad who said, yeah, he was like, just make a YouTube page, make a Facebook, try it for a year. If it doesn't work, like still go into banking. So I made like all of the different social medias, all of them, like Snapchat, Twitter, TikTok, everything. And yeah, it's, it's just been nonstop since then. Like, I can't believe how quickly it kind of took off. I wasn't expecting that at all. <laughs> but that's because presumably you start, you didn't think about becoming an influencer. It, it was almost organic and, and you'd already got a following. So, so in, in a way, brands wanted to connect with you because you've got a ready-made audience and, yeah. and that's that's half the, that's half the battle so tell me a little bit about some of the campaigns that you've worked on i was trying to make a list earlier and i was like because it's been three and a half years now there's an awful lot like i couldn't tell you on a monthly basis it probably varies from one a week to like four a week depending how busy it is um a lot of the campaigns that i've done have been either food and drink travel or film so i did make a list because i thought i don't want to forget any um, so for film, there are two campaigns that really stood out for me. The main one was Charlie's Angels, uh, the like all-female recreation that was released last year. So this was pretty cool. And I think this is one of the nice things about being an influencer and an actress. Uh, so Sony reached out to me in November 2018, I think it was, and said, hey, you know, we're filming this new Charlie's Angels film. Do you want to fly out to Germany for like 24 hours? be an extra in the film, meet the angels, you know, have a chat with Elizabeth Banks. And I was like, I'm, I'm already on the way to the airport, you know, I'm ready. It was just an amazing experience, like getting to meet Naomi Scott, uh, Kristen Stewart, it, it, it was just incredible. And um, yeah, so I did content for like my Facebook, my Instagram stories. Uh, the YouTube video is probably one of my favorite videos of all time, just because it was so much fun to film and it was such an awesome experience. And I really feel like you can see that through the video. I tried to control my excitement, but I'm not, <laughs> I couldn't control it. I think another film one was for Maze Runner. So this was Fox when Fox was still around. Uh, 20th Century Fox sent me out to South Africa uh, for a couple of days, again, to be in the film and have a chat with the cast, which like, I, oh my goodness, I read those books as a teenager. I love the film. So that was kind of like a dream come true. That was a lot of fun. Um, again, that was like content for all of my channels. And then when the film was released, I interviewed the director, Wes Ball, because I do a lot of celebrity interviews as well. So that was kind of a nice, like tying the knot on the edge of that campaign. That was cool. Um, otherwise, I'm, I'm trying to just give you like five main ones. I'm like, how do I summarize three and a half years in like a minute? And these are all just so like, so these are all people that are approaching you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'd say 99% of the brand deals that I've done have been brands approaching me. I do reach out to brands. Obviously, I think it's really important for influencers to be proactive, take control and actively reach out. Uh, don't spam people. Like every email I send, it's targeted and it's personalized. Because I've seen people send out bulk emails to like a hundred people like they'll email themselves and bcc and brands and they're like dear sir madam i would like to work with you and i'm just like oh my goodness no don't do that no and it, it's a common pitfall that people fall into and it, it frustrates me so that's getting a bit diverted here but yeah that's one of my key things personalize those emails 
Um, I'll say about two more campaigns quickly. So one of them was a travel one. Uh, since I was a child, I've always loved traveling and I kind of just fell into that niche a little bit. So whenever I was traveling with work, I thought, you know, what, I'll just throw up a vlog and people really seem to enjoy it. So uh, was it last? It was, it was last year. So um, I've got about 288,000 followers on TikTok, uh, which used to be Musical.ly back in the day. And oh my goodness, I love the app so much. It, it's so much fun. And in August, TikTok contacted me and said, we've got this brand deal with the Tourism Authority of Thailand. Do, do you want to work with them? And I, I remember saying, the, the country of Thailand wants to work with me. I'm sorry, what? Like, I've never worked with a country before. This is crazy. And uh, yet it was the most incredible two weeks of my life. So they took me and my mum. They're like, you can have a plus one. And I thought, well, my mum wants to go to Thailand. She's kind of my videographer. So I took her with me. And it was just day after day of these amazing activities, meeting amazing people. And I think one of the reasons I love that campaign is because it was so open creatively. There wasn't any minimum number of posts. They were like, here's what we'd like you to do. And here's some very vague messaging. But we want to make it you. We don't want to say, you know, post in front of a poster or say this or say this. Just document how much fun you're having on this trip. And I remember one of the first videos I posted, I think today, I should, was it today? No, it was a podcast that I had um, last week and they asked me to check and it's on like 3.2 million views. And that's got all of the campaign hashtags on. And I was like, that just goes to show that when you use organic content that you're genuinely passionate about, you know, it shines through. So I, I can tell you about some more food, drink, Fanta, Coca-Cola, but those are like my favorite ones, I think. <laughs> That's really, really good. And it's, it's not, you mentioned, again, we mentioned the word authenticity and, and, and where brands are leaving it to the creators to be themselves. Yeah. I think it's, it's certainly one of the, the, the issues that cropped up time and time again, where influencers, content creators are just used as a media asset and, and they're not, and they're missing a trick, aren't they, so often. Yeah, no, 100%. I think you've really hit the nail on the head there. I think the issue that I've had sometimes is, I'm sure you've seen these advertisements on Instagram where it's a girl holding up a bag of tea saying, here is some tea that will make you lose weight. And I just think, oh, I will never in my life do one of those advertisements. And it's, it's, it's not going to work for the brand. It's just not going to work. For the influence, it's probably going to drop their engagement. People aren't going to like it. And it isn't going to result in any click-throughs for the brand. It's just not what people want to see. Whereas say I post a video and I'm like, here's my daily routine. And at the beginning, I happen to be using this tea and they can tell I'm passionate about it. Like if that was me watching that video, I'd think, oh, okay, so this doesn't, even if it is an advertisement, which obviously you have to disclose, it's different. It's just making it organic. And I do think that it's taking a while for brands to understand that. Because if you think about it, as I was saying earlier, you know, normally they do TV campaigns where they have like 100% um, control on everything creatively. But we've built our following as influencers and we know what our audience want. So I think giving the influencers creative control, like it's beneficial for the brand because we know the best way to put that product across to our audience and what's most likely going to result in click-throughs and sales, you know. And that's where I think it's, it, you know, the, the reason why the, the word collaboration is used so often because that's exactly what it is, isn't exactly. it? It's, it's understanding, <laughs> it's what, what are you both trying to get out of this uh, uh, of this campaign just before we move on what do you like when you see these uh, inbound emails what is it that resonates with you that you say yes or equally what is it you say no okay this is like my favorite question because not enough people ask this and I'm like this is so important so don't get me wrong I have turned down my fair share of brand deals the main thing for me is normally if it's not something that rings true to me so if a brand comes to me and it's something I've not used or I just don't believe in or something like that, I will always have a conversation with them because I just think 
that's the polite thing to do. Probably a British thing. I'm like, oh, I just need to talk to them. And um, we'll, we'll come to some arrangement and I'll maybe forward them someone who would be more suited to them or I just politely decline. And yeah, it's normally either, as I've said, it's a product that just doesn't align with my brand or they'll email you sometimes and say, right, so we have like $10 for a 10 minute YouTube video. It will take you, you know, four days to film and edit and we want the product shown the whole way through. But yeah, here's $10. And I'm like, I'm okay, thank you. And it gets worse. Normally those ones, there's also, oh, here's the script for you to read. And I think the three main points that put me off, one is when they basically say, here's a script, no creative control, you do exactly as we want, they're just not respecting you as a person or a creator. Two, as I've said, if it's not in line with your brand, and of course, I mean, not everything is about money, but the same as in any job, you wouldn't work for like 10p an hour, probably, it's probably like 1p an hour, the amount of hours that it takes to do a YouTube video for $10. So I'd say those two are the most important, and then, if I'm comfortable with the first two, I'll have a look at the rate and think, right, would this fairly compensate me for my time, the editing, the production value, all of this? If so, then I'm happy. Ones where I see a brief and I immediately think yes, it's when a brand is really open and they say, look, here's what we think. What do you want to do? How would you like to turn this around to fit your channel? We've looked at your channel and we love this, this, and this, and we thought maybe you could do this. Like it shows that they've researched you. They genuinely, again, like influencers send out bulk emails. So do brands sometimes. Now just say, oh, we love your content. Do you want to do this? And you can tell. They don't know who you are. They've never watched like an Instagram or a Facebook video or been on your YouTube channel. So I think personalizing emails to that extent for me really stands out. And whenever I get one of those emails, even if it's a brand I'm not 100% keen on, it, it tempts me to work with them because I think, well, they have that personal touch, which you don't really see from a lot of brands nowadays. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think is quite interesting is, is that uh, uh, more brands should take an interest and build this personal relationship. But before they've done that and reached out to you, perhaps they should like some of your posts, comment on that and get to know you before they've even taken the time to send, send, an, send you an email. So that not only that, that shows, shows you that they're on your radar already. And um I, I, I just think, I mean, I've come from a relationship business background and I, I think that's so, so true. And, and from, from when I start to speak to people, they say that uh, it's those that have a strong relationship with the ones that you want to work with. Yeah, no, I mean, that sounds fantastic. Sorry to cut in, you just said it. And I was like, I don't think a brand's ever done that, but if someone did, even before they reached out, if I saw they were liking my stuff, I'd probably reach out to them first. <laughs> so that's a very common move, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. What are the sorts of things that irritate you about influencer marketing? What are the things that get on your goat? It's difficult, but I have to say the one bee in my bonnet is gifting. Oh my goodness, the amount of conversations that I've had about gifting. I'd say 50% of the emails that I get are about gifting. And in an advertorial sense, you either have gifting where someone gives you a product and it's completely genuine. And a brand will say, and this is according to like ASA's guidelines, if a brand sends you a gift and they don't give you any hashtags, they don't say you have to send it to us for approval um, or you have to tag us or anything, then it's a genuine gift and you choose if you want to actually post anything. That is gifting in the purest sense and that I'm totally okay with. The problem is as soon as brands say, oh, here, we want to gift you something worth $10 for an Instagram post worth $1,000. You think, right, okay. Well, if I get the product and then it is a true gift and I can choose if I want to post it because people have sent me stuff worth like five pounds. If it's something I really love, of course I'm going to share it because my followers want to see what I enjoy. And yeah, they'll say, okay, so here's something for $10. 
and uh, yeah, here's what you need to write in your caption. And you need to send us three different videos for approval. And you need to give us usage for six months. And we need to include these hashtags. Um, and you need to share this. And I just think that's ridiculous. Think of it this way, right? In England, I think the national minimum wage is like eight pounds for one hour. So they're basically giving you one hour's wage. Like usage alone for six months is hundreds, if not thousands of pounds. Like the amount of time it goes into this production to me, it is insulting. And it happens a lot of the time. And I used to respond a lot when I was first starting out. And I think everyone does when they're first starting out. You think, oh, oh, free stuff. This is exciting. They want to work with me. Okay. And a lot of brands come with this promise of, oh, just do a few free things and then we'll start paying you. And I fell into that trap and I thought, okay, great. Even like, I'm not going to name names, but very, very big brands. And you know, once you've done like the ninth or the 10th free post, you start to think, no, they never had any intention of paying me. And I think that's what you need to be careful of. When people are starting out, I'd say do go for the gifting thing because for me, it helps me. Like now I write my own contracts and I know exactly what to put in it. And a lot of that is actually not from the paid campaigns, but from the gifted campaigns where something's gone wrong. Or I've, I've just learned so much. So for me, it's definitely valuable having been through that. And now I appreciate my worth so much more. Um, but yeah, I would say gifting is definitely my, my biggest niggle, I have to say. <laughs> uh, uh, the reason I mention it, I just wondered whether or not you thought that uh, influencers charge enough or whether there is disparity amongst some that just don't know what their value is. So this is very, very interesting. And recently someone created an Instagram account called the Influencer Pay Gap. And before that, I'd always been told that I undercharge. And my mentality was, well, say that this is what people with my following, my engagement charge. If I undercut them and charge less, then technically that should be more appealing, just a business move, should be more appealing to brands. They're getting the exact same, but for slightly less. I don't mind taking that decrease in wage because surely it should result in more brand deals. And that's what I've been doing for the last three years and I've been perfectly happy. I have worked with some brands where um, it, will, it will be ridiculous, the amount that they ask. I've been offered five pounds for a TikTok video. A little bit too, too small there. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a really, really strange one. And this Instagram account is wonderful because what they're doing is they're asking influencers to submit anonymously, just saying um, where they live. So it's either the UK or the US, the amount of followers that they have, their engagement rate, and the most and the least that they've been paid for a campaign. Now, personally, I talk to my influencer friends about occasionally about payment, just if I think, oh, that's, that's a bit low. Is this, is this okay? But in general, it's kind of like this unspoken thing. You just don't talk about what you get paid. And for the first time ever now, people are actually seeing what people are getting paid. And honestly, I must have spent, sad to say this, I must have spent a good three hours the other day going through all of the posts on this account. And I just sat back and had this realization that I've been massively undercharging for the last three years. So people with like the same amount of followers that I have on Instagram with a lower engagement rate were regularly charging three times what I was and brands were paying it. And I, I just, I remember just having this kind of epiphany being like, wow, for that long, I've undervalued myself. And now I've had this realization. And that was the day as well when I thought, no, you know, what? I'm going to stop accepting gifting campaigns because this is when people, there was one girl, I don't know how on earth this happened. She had a million followers and she'd never been paid. She'd only have a, ever had like gifting opportunities with good engagement and a million followers. And I was sat there like, okay, so if I'm undervaluing myself, like how on earth must she feel seeing this? So I think it's a tricky one. In general, before I'd seen this Instagram page, I would have said, oh, I think we're charging a fair amount. Now I've realized a lot of us are undercharging. Now don't get me wrong, there are people that overcharge and there's management companies that definitely take advantage of that where they say, oh, 50,000 pounds for a YouTube video. I'm like, that's a car. Like that, that's a small house, you know, that's ridiculous. Um, but I do think, 
that a lot of the time brands don't realize, for example, not even brands, just members of the public. Like if I said, oh, I've got a, um, so for example, this Coca-Cola campaign that I did last Christmas. So it was one Instagram post, which was just a photo. And I think it was seven or eight story sites. Now, if you say that to a normal member of the public who doesn't have a background in marketing or influence marketing or understand social media, they'd say, oh, what would you charge like a hundred pounds? But like, I think I have 370,000 followers. And people are like, oh, well, actually, no, you can't really charge the light. It's just a photo. And I think, okay, so on that day, I had to get up at 5 a.m. to beat the queues to get to this Coca-Cola truck. I was there for four hours queuing because they were meant to push us to the front before the queue got there. Um, this was not Coca-Cola, by the way. Like, they were fantastic to work with. I think this was one, one of the agencies. And it, it was just in total, it was about four or five hours, like in the cold, queuing. It started raining. Um, we weren't allowed to bring any plus ones, so I had to ask that members of the public to take photos for me. And then I took some photos and it wasn't exactly what they wanted. And it was just one thing after another, after another. And then I was in the taxi on the way home and they said, oh, can you send over the content? Now, normally I like to get home, like have a cup of tea, have a cup of hot chocolate and go through all of my content and edit them. And the videos, I like to edit them together, make them look pretty, you know, put some nice text, some nice music. And yeah, literally five minutes after I left, they were like, you need to post now. And I was like, okay, so I haven't even... I'm not left. I'm still in the car park. <laughs> I'm on the other end of the car park here. And I thought, right, okay. The amount of stress is incredible. I thrive under stress. I really enjoy it. But sometimes with these campaigns, when you have a 24-hour turnaround or then a five-minute turnaround, that is why influencers get paid what they get paid. And I think people don't understand that. Like if it was just, oh, take a photo and post, that's fine. But it isn't. And when it's a paid advertorial campaign, there's always different ranks of approval, sending backwards and forwards, different time zones. There's so many different things to think about. But there's a massive gap in education, uh, full stop. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely huge, I think. Um, one of the things I've noticed is a lot of influence content creators are multi-talented, multi-skilled. So they, they are website builders. They are, they are email drivers. They have huge audiences. They are photographers. They're videographers. They're script writers. So if you start, I've written a blog post about this actually, if you started to look at the um, hourly rate of all those people and then combine them in one person, you'd start to realize that actually uh, an influencer is worth their weight in gold and some. So I, I genuinely think from what I've seen, there are a lot of influencers that undervalue themselves through ignorance or through that they're just not, realizing what what they're what they're putting in place exactly as i said i was one of them and that was just through the industry kind of telling you that you're not worth that but what you've just said is so true and as i said it's a realization i had last week i thought hold on so uh, so let's say that volvo want to run a tv commercial so it's a one-day shoot they would have to get a videographer a director a producer they have to get actors makeup artists editors lighting sound how, which is why I think for um, acting in commercials, you can get between like 5,000 and 100,000 pounds just as an actor. So imagine how much that actually costs. You're probably looking like 100,000 pounds minimum for a TV commercial. An influencer is a one-stop shop for all of that. We're directors and producers and script writers and editors and everything in, in one person. And what you've just said, I love that you said that because to hear a, a non-content creator say that makes me so happy because this is how I've started to see myself. You know, I, I am a one-stop shop that does all of these things. And I think that was the issue with undervaluing. We just don't realize it. You don't, you don't. And, and also, I think the other exciting thing is you can turn stuff around super quick. If you think about some of the big advertising campaigns that are planned weeks in advance, 
they're involved in the creative process a lot sooner, you can turn campaigns around super quick. Or indeed, uh, even when a campaign's running, you can alternate it. So you can start with, with one post and realize, actually, we could pivot slightly and do something a, a slightly different on the second one. But if you think about printed media, you think about out of home and bus shelters. Once that's gone, it's gone. Yeah, you can't. It's not like you can change it back for a little tweak in the exactly, 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 exactly. So, so, so that's that's good. And um, one of the other things that I think has been super interesting is the growth in e-commerce and the relationship between affiliate marketing and influencer marketing. I mean, sites like uh, Reward Style, um, which you, you probably know, uh, have been hugely successful. Um, and other sort of affiliate brands where influencers are driving huge sales by not only offering a discount to their followers, but obviously earning a commission on the back of that. Do you think that more and more uh, brands, and particularly up and coming and new brands, should look at influencer marketing uh, to not just create brand awareness, but actually drive sales? Yeah, 100%. I think affiliate marketing, whoever invented it, is very, very intelligent. There isn't a day that goes by where I'm on Instagram and I don't see something hashtag affiliate. And I think it's such a nice way of doing things because the brand doesn't necessarily have to pay you X amount for a post. And as we've been saying, it's authentic and it's organic because it's products that they're wearing themselves and they want to wear and they're promoting it to you. But often you'll see the same products worn again and again and again. Maybe it's an Instagram post, a story, a Facebook post. And whenever I see an affiliate link, a part of me thinks actually, if I was interested in this particular type of item and I saw it in a sponsored post that had been paid for or an affiliate link, perhaps I'd be more tempted to buy it through an affiliate link. That's just for fashion. For other brands, I think I'd probably go for the post because normally there's more information. Um, but yeah, I think it's something that a lot of brands are jumping on, especially emerging brands. And I would definitely suggest it. I think influencer marketing is a place where a lot of brands see as being a bit of a gray area just because they don't understand, which is it's not their fault. It's just because it's not like you can take classes in it at school or at university, you know, it's such a new thing. And I think brands should take the risk, they should jump, they should just try it. Perhaps affiliate marketing is the best way to start so that they don't have to spend some of their budget. And then once they've kind of dipped the toe in the water, then try sponsored campaigns and see what works best for them because every brand's different. But I definitely do think there is some pillar in influence marketing that could work for every brand on the planet. And, and so what have, you, what have you found from the platform side that has been your most successful? Uh, I'm guessing YouTube would be right up there, but you mentioned TikTok as well. Yeah, so YouTube is actually my smallest following. I think I've got 119,000 on YouTube, which is my smallest. Facebook's my biggest. So my Facebook page has got 1.4 million. Uh, my profile's half a million. Snapchat's about 100,000. TikTok, 288,000. You're quizzing me now. Instagram, about 370,000, I think. Um, so yeah, YouTube's probably my smallest just because the majority of what I do is comedy, which is normally like one to three minute comedy sketches and YouTube is a lot more long form content. So for me, I just prefer using the other platforms. Um, with regards to brand deals, I think I'd have to say visually the best for me where I look at them and I think, oh, that's um, performed really, really well. It's, it's kind of a draw between Instagram, Facebook and TikTok. So I only started probably on TikTok a year ago. But in that year, as I was saying with the Thailand campaign, like for this video to get 3.2 million views, like that's a lot of eyeballs. One on, it was, um, it was like a traditional Thai fire massage. So one, it's like eyeballs on this beautiful tradition that they have over there, which people probably haven't seen before, but also kind of driving traffic to travel, you know, and I think the hashtags were like amazing Thailand and something else. 
And I remember the brand reaching out afterwards and they were like, we're, we're so pleased with this. Like we, we never expected to get this many views. And there was another one I think that had over a million as well. Um, and I think Instagram, it's tougher to get as much reach on Instagram. For example, TikTok, you could have 10,000 followers. And if a video went, I don't like the V word, but if the video went viral, it could easily get a million views. Whereas on Instagram, if you have a million followers, because Instagram don't push your posts to all of the people that follow you, it's unlikely you'd ever get a million likes on a post, right? So it's tougher on Instagram, but I think it's more visually aesthetic for brands because it's a photo sharing platform, not video sharing. Um, however, on Facebook as well, I have to say I've done a lot of comedy sketch brand deals, which is what Instagram's more fashion, I've noticed, lifestyle, film, TikTok's a bit of everything, but the comedy sketches does tend to be more on Facebook. And again, I think there's probably four or five that I've done over the last year with over a million views, which is, to me, I'm so proud of that for a brand to be able to say, hey, look, I made this baby for you. It's got a million views. This is amazing. And it's always so nice. My favorite thing about a brand deal is like the communication afterwards, once you've posted, being like, okay, are you happy? What do you think? And getting their feedback and you giving them your feedback. And yeah, I just think this is kind of going on to another point, but I think long-term collaborations are so important. And I was trying to over-deliver. Um, not just the first time that I work with people, but I just think generally, especially if it's a brand that they really respect you and they're giving you creative control, I just I want to do the best that I can for them. So I'd say personally, I think Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok probably for the best performing brand deals. And and just uh, what about Snapchat? Um, because Snapchat is is still there, but I know it doesn't get the same level of attention, and it's got a, a largely a younger audience, hasn't it? Yes, but, it has. Did you do any? Have you done any campaigns on Snapchat? Yeah. Oh my goodness. So many. So I couldn't count. I couldn't count. So with Snapchat, I always kind of forget about them because they're so simple. Like Snapchat campaigns are the easiest thing in the world in the sense that a brand will say, okay, here's what we want you to say. Um, here are a few key points. Just do like three stories, which is 30 seconds, but in your own voice. So again, I keep saying it, but creative control. It's very rare that for Snapchat, you'll get a script because I talk very quickly. So if you give me like a five page script, I will whip through that. But most people might get through a paragraph, say. Yeah, I really, really like story campaigns. That's something I really like. One, because you can put swipe up links, whereas in some posts you can't. And two, I just think it's nicer because people can personally message you about it. So when I put, say, a campaign on my Instagram post, if it's something, um, I work a lot with charities and say if it's something about mental health, sometimes people won't feel comfortable commenting, perhaps if they're going through something. Whereas if it's on a story and I'm like, oh, here's a swipe up link to donate or to learn more, like I did something with Alzheimer's recently. And I was like, my grandmother died of Alzheimer's. You know, it was a really sad time, but I wish that I knew more to help her. Here's a swipe up link. The amount of messages through Snapchat that I got, it gives me goosebumps of people saying, I didn't realize like if you catch it early enough, you can kind of slow the process and this, this and this. And it just, it just warmed my heart. And I was like, you, you wouldn't get the same response from like a YouTube video, something where all of the comments are public. So I definitely think there's pros and cons to each platform, but yeah, I just, I love doing Snapchat campaigns. They, I'd say generally for everyone, I think Snapchat campaigns have slowed down over the last year because there was a massive boom and everyone was using it. And I heard recently, which surprised me. So what's your main form of communication? For me, it's probably WhatsApp and Messenger. What would you personally use? What do you prefer? Me, um, WhatsApp. Um, I would say WhatsApp, yeah, mostly. Right. So yeah. I thought, oh, everyone uses WhatsApp. Apparently, 13 to 17-year-olds, their main form of communication is Snapchat Messenger. I was like, okay, that's a bit strange. Um, so I feel like it's moved from being a social media platform into being like WhatsApp and more of a, a, a messenger platform. And I was reading some analytics the other day, and it was saying from like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, the amount of videos from those platforms that are shared through WhatsApp. And a lot of the time, that's how 
they get their virality because people are sharing them amongst little groups. Um, and obviously, like on Snapchat Messenger, that's the exact same. So I would say there's been less brand campaigns. I like it though, because I feel like now the campaigns that come through, I can really, really think, okay, so I haven't done one in a month now. Let's really focus. How do I want to make this different? And probably because I am doing less brand campaigns, I feel like people are responding to them better in a way, as in people have always been positive because I'm always very transparent about everything. But now they're like, oh, another brand deal. Okay, what's this one for? Because they know I only pick the ones that I really like. So it has definitely changed as a platform. I don't think it will ever die out completely. I think it's just changed from having an older demographic to a younger one, which is kind of the opposite of TikTok. Because when TikTok was musically, they've literally gone in opposite directions. The main audience of TikTok was 13 to 17. And now it's up in its 20s. It's just swings and roundabouts. You know, I think a lot of platforms are going to go through that. But yeah, thinking about it, Snapchat and TikTok have literally done the complete opposite, which is a bit strange. So uh, sort of to, to, to finish then, what would be your defining tips for an up and coming uh, influencer that is, that is entering the space? has probably got a bit of an audience, maybe uh, 10,000 followers or something. What would you be saying to them right now? Okay, so, ah, okay, if I try and narrow it down to three, I would say the first one is be consistent, especially when you're starting out. I think people make the mistake of thinking, oh, I can post once a month and build an audience. Well, you can, but it's going to take much longer. Whereas if you're posting, say, three, four times a week, even daily, you're constantly out there. And that's on a daily basis that you have these opportunities to build a new following. Um, so I'd say consistency is very important. As you grow your following, I think you can be a bit more lenient. So for example, when I was first starting out, I was posting literally on a daily basis or weekly. And now because kind of through the influencer side, I've begun presenting and acting as well. There's different things that take up your time and naturally people expect you to be posting less. But when you start out, I think that's incredibly important. I, we did speak a little bit about this earlier and I know I'm an anomaly, but definitely finding a niche. When you're starting, very important. Even say if you're torn between a couple of different things, just don't think, right, I want to be an influencer and I don't know what genre, but I'm, I'm just going to influence people. You, you need to niche down because the thing is your followers will become they're passionate about different niches. So say, for example, you want to do gaming. As soon as you start doing gaming videos, you're going to meet like-minded people and they will love, as, exactly as I said earlier, they will follow you for your gaming content and then grow to love you and then just follow you for you. Whereas if you do lots of different niches, it's a little bit confusing. So say if you did, let me pick a random combination here, uh, gaming, dance, and <laughs> travel. That's a bit random. So if, say, you thought, right, I want to do those three things, not really much correlation between them you're going to have a gaming audience that when you post a travel video, they're not going to know what's going on. When you post a dance video, they'll just be thinking, okay, well, I'm waiting for the next gaming video. And that results in less engagement. You might even lose followers. And I think it's just a bit confusing for your audience not knowing what you want to do. So if you can stick to one or two, so even like fashion and beauty go so well together, like fashion, beauty, lifestyle. I always think to me, it is kind of one big umbrella niche with little mini niches in between. So like that's fine. But if you're stuck between two opposite directions, I'd say try and stick to one first. And then if that doesn't work, then maybe try another one. But don't spread yourself too thin just because it can be very, very confusing for people watching. That's it for another edition of Influence. Please don't forget to subscribe and let us have your feedback to our email, feedback at influencepodcast.net. Or you can go onto the BCMA website, www.thebcma.info. You can also send me a message on my Instagram too, which is Gordon Glenister. And if you feel like it, it would be great if you could leave us a five-star review. That would be awesome because it really does help us. Thanks also to my producer, Neil Whiteside of Freedom One. So until next time, from me, Gordon Gannister, bye for now.